How are you guys doing? Yeah? I'm, I'm going to uh, share a little bit of a story um, before we get started. So last night, I um, was doing a little devotional with my family. And it was right before bedtime, and we were reading this book called Leading Little Ones to Christ. My, my, my son, Ryan, seven, uh, my other son, Christopher, he's five. They, they sleep on the same bed. It's like this big king-sized bed, and they roll over each other. They love it, you know. And um, so I'm leading them in this devotional, reading the book. And it talks about God giving his son for us. And um, my, my son asks this really good question about, like, Papa, how do I know that I'm chosen? And uh, I, I said, look, if, if you want Jesus... If you have asked him in your heart, the only reason that a person would want Jesus is because God has chosen them first. So you, you are chosen. And then we started reminiscing about the time when Ryan, can you guess how old Ryan was when he actually gave his life to Jesus? He was, he was three years old. He was, <laughs> I, I would love to tell you that story, but actually this story is not necessarily about Ryan. But I started to reminisce about that story with my two boys. And then Christopher piped in. And he says, Baba, I believe. No, Christopher's, he's five. And here's the thing with Christopher. You cannot force anything on Christopher. Not that I'm trying to force anything. You just can't. I mean, he's just a kid. The really good way to say it is he's really strong inside. There's a more negative way to say that, you know, <laughs> but, but you can't force him to do anything. And he said, he said, I believe. And I said to him, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he said, yeah. Now, Raina was uh, in the adjacent room. She had fallen asleep on the bed, putting no way to bed. So I give this little knock, just like, and Raina springs out of bed. She's in the room in like, in like two seconds because she was like overhearing everything, right? You know, she was overhearing everything. And so the we, four of us, we gathered in this little circle and we just led Christopher in prayer to Christ. Now, I, I, look, I'm not saying that, you know, he's one and done. You know, I'm not saying that. It's probably, he'll probably like give his life and many more parts of his life to Jesus uh, as he continues to grow up in Christ. But this was the very first time that he said, I want Jesus. I want him as my Lord, as my boss, as my Savior. And, um, and you know something? You know something? Earlier this week, I was really pressing into God and saying, God, would you do something with my kids? And then this morning, I, God was connecting the dots for me. Like, remember when you prayed that? I'm like, yeah, Lord, you're so good. Thank you so much. And so today, we're just going to, like, party. We're, we're just going gonna to take him out to ice cream, you know, whatever candy you want to eat. I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. But we're just going to celebrate today. So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, uh, pretty excited about this God who answers prayer and coming into the, this Sunday with uh, that sort of encouragement. Um, okay, let's go forward in our series. Uh, more than money. Okay, now a quick recap of the past two weeks, and then I'll give you a little preview of next week, and then we're going to talk about today. Okay, a quick recap of uh, the last two weeks. 
Pastor Dave came and Pastor Jonathan came, and did you guys know how similar the message was? Really, the, the message was that when a person takes in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the result is a life that's spent in justice and compassion for the poor. You guys notice how similar the, the message was? Doug did. He's nodding his head. So did Peter. And then next week, Seda Andrews from LifeWater is going to come, and she's going to give the whole message. And... Um, well, I'll just let her tell you, but it, I, it's going to be really good. It's something to definitely look forward to. Now, today, we're going to talk about, well, among other things, but the way that I initially want to introduce it is the rules of conduct when it comes to the giving and receiving of money. How do you like that as a title? The rules of conduct when it comes to the giving and receiving of money. Now, something tells me that when you were growing up, your parents probably had something to say about these rules of conduct. Yeah? Is that jogging anyone's memory? I'll give you an example uh, for myself. When I was young, my auntie surprised me on Chinese New Year. She gave me this red envelope, and, you know, I, I wasn't really accustomed to it. What I did is I ripped it open right in front of her, and there was $50. And she was saying, this is for you. And I'm like, for me? And then I started to break out in song and dance. <laughs> now, I don't remember this, but my parents, my parents, you know, they, they, they told me later. And then in private, they said, what are you doing? Okay? There are certain rules of conduct. Okay? Number one, when you receive the red envelope, you don't just rip it open in front of them. Okay? You humbly say, oh, thank you. And you, you put it in your pocket and you walk away and then you open it. <laughs> now, these are the rules. These are the rules, right? When you open it, this is what my mom said. You must tell me who gave what to you and how much. That's what she said. Now, there are certain times where I didn't tell her, and then the auntie told my mom, and she was furious. And then she comes to me and goes, how much? Now, part of me was like, why does my mom need to know how much? Anyone here know why? Yvonne. Ah, exactly. Your mom gave you the same talk. Because when it's Chinese New Year, I need to know how much to give their kids. Right? Right? Can I, right? Okay, there's a lot of heads nodding. Now, the rules are even more complicated when it comes to food and money. Now, these are the rules. And again, I learned this from the modeling and then the, the after discussion. If you're going out to eat, like let's say I'm going out to eat with Peter. Okay? When the bill comes, be the first to grab the bill. Be the first to grab the bill. Okay? Now, if they are, like, quicker than you and they grab the bill, then you grab the bill and you wrestle them for it. You wrestle them for it, right? Don't give in so eat. you got to wrestle them for it. Now, let's say they win. Let's say they pay the bill. What do you do? You remember. And you say, next time it's on me. And you actually treat them the next time. And to make sure that you actually pay for the bill, this is a trick that my mom taught me. It's, it's brilliant. What you do is, mid-course, you leave the meal because you need to go to the restroom. And then what do you do? You, you pay the bill. Yeah, Yvonne's all over this. 
Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Now, now, what's the principle here when it comes to the giving and receiving of money? It is the principle of reciprocity. Right? It's reciprocity. There's a code of conduct. Now, it's an interesting thing. We're going to actually read about, like, kind of, it's kind of like Paul's rules of conduct when it comes to the giving and receiving of money. But it's totally different from what my mom taught me. Now, I'm going to go through this really quick, and then we're going to dive into the scripture. Number one, when someone offers you money, you receive the money. <laughs> okay, that's, wow, that's a whole, you know. Right? Number one. Number two, you tell them how content you are without the money. We're going to go into the scripture. You'll see what we mean by this. Number three, you focus on the meaning of the generosity. Not just the generosity, but what does this mean? And then number four, you thank them and assure them that God will pay them back. You thank them and assure them that God will pay them back. So those are a little bit of the table of contents we're going. Why don't you turn in your Bibles with me if you brought one to Philippians. Philippians chapter Four. Now, contextually, this totally fits because this church has been very generous in supporting Paul. And Paul is writing this letter in Philippians. One of his purposes is to thank this church. So let's learn from Paul how to thank people that have given you money or support, have served you in some way. Let's learn from Paul. Starting in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now... At length, okay, you're like, at length, is he trying to give them a guilt trip? No, he's not. You know, they've actually, Paul's been under some radio silence for some time, and that's what being shipwrecked and being in prison will do to you. So they've kind of lost contact, but now they have reconnected, and you have revived your concern for me. And so Epaphroditus, who was a messenger from Philippi, actually delivered some money to support Paul. But you had no opportunity. Why they had no opportunity, I don't know. Maybe it was radio silence. Maybe they didn't have a courier. But now they did with Epaphroditus. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Can you guys repeat that word content with me? Paul says, you know, I've learned in whatever, whatever, whatever situation, how to be content. Now he's going to like list all the different possible situations, or at least the extremes. I know how to be brought low. Okay, I know how to, I know what it means to suffer. I know what it means to have really low resources. I know what it's like to be really down on cash. And I know how to abound. You're like, abound? You mean like rich? And yeah, I think Paul's like, yeah, I know what, it, what it's like to be rich. When was Paul ever rich? Well, what did he do before he was a missionary? Didn't he go like to the Harvard of ancient Jewish schools? Sat under the feet of Gamaliel? Yeah, so, you know, I mean... That might have cost some money. He was probably rich. Probably. Yeah, I know what it's like to be rich. I know what it's like to be poor. In any and every circumstance, any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse, verse uh, 13. 
How many of you guys heard verse 13 before? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. How many of you guys have seen it on a t-shirt? Raise your hands. Okay? And normally the, the t-shirt, I mean, uh, stay with me here. It, isn't it that, like, there's some athlete on the t-shirt? <laughs> you know? Some guy doing this incredible feat. He's like mid-air. He's like, going to slam a ball somewhere, right? And it's very, you know, it's very inspirational. I can do all things to him who gives me strength. Very motivational. Very, very out of context, right? Right? What is Paul talking about? I can do all things. Through, I, what's the all thing? I can be content. <laughs> He's talking about being content. Now, being content with what you have and where you are, that's really tough. That's not an easy thing to do. I, I bet you there's a, a fair amount of people, and, you know, I'm not going to say you're, I'm going to say we're coming to church, and we kind of come to church with a kind of mentality. You know, I, and if I could summarize that mentality into a few words, it, it, w- it would be this. If I only had blank, I would be happy. Have you guys ever, like, thought that or said that? Like, like, if God only gave me this, then I would really be happy. Can you guys connect with that sort of thinking? If God just gave me this, if I could just have this thing, I would be so happy. I'd be so happy. Can I ask you guys what that thing is for you? Now, now without showing you my list, I want you actually to come up with your own list, right? Can you come up with your own list? What's that thing for you? What is that thing for you? Okay, I'm just going to pick on the high schoolers because you guys are just fun to pick on. Um, I I came up with my own list. Actually, Bruce doesn't have to show that yet. My own list, but it's kind of like in chronological order, right? And so the first few are some of the things that I really, really wanted in high school. But if the high schoolers are really brave right now, can you just like share some things? Of course, not that you really want, but your peers want. Okay, right? Right? I'm connecting with you guys. So, so someone be brave and just tell me one of those things. And I, I'm, I would bet you a buck that I got it somewhere on this list. Can you throw them out? Tyler, give me one. Good grades. I got that one. Okay, give me another one. Colin, give me one. A car. Whoa, I got that one too. Give me one. Give me one. Someone, another high schooler. I'm sorry? More money. Show me. I got that one too. I got one too. Now, let, me, let me just show you my list, okay? Now, whatever you, however you would fulfill that statement, if I only had blank, then I would be happy. If I only, can you just look at my list? I'm actually going to go through this pretty quickly. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> first five were kind of mined. Uh, 4.0, tired of the good grades. I something, you like that? Anything that Steve Jobs made, I want that, right? Um, a car, right? But later on, it's like a better car, you know, when you get older, right? Uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, that was actually the thing I wanted most for most of my single life. That was it. Popularity, lots of friends, college of choice. And, and, and then as you get older, the, the, the desire doesn't diminish. It just changes. 
The stuff you want actually just changes. And then it's dream career, promotion, work success. Made more money. I got you, Matthew, on that one. I want a house that's bigger or cleaner. You like the cleaner one? Because some, some of you might be thinking that. It's, not a, it's just a cleaner house. Um, I want the nice car. I want the nice spouse, right? The kids, retirement, vacation, good relationship with successful kids. How about that one? No, no, that one, that one, ooh, that one, that one's so, that one's really good. Okay, and, and then the last one, the last one actually is health. I'm, this might be for older people. I'm actually, that would be one of mine. If I just had, and I could give you five things that I wish I just had. No, I'm just curious. Is, is, is your thing on my list? <laughs> I just want to know if I like... Do I know the congregation pretty well? If my thing is on your list, could you just raise your hand? Okay, thank you. If my thing is not on your list, would you actually share it out loud? Because I'm just curious. Oh, that's, actually, that's too vulnerable. Oh, Ellie, no, it's not too vulnerable. Go. More time. More time. You're like, I want the dream career and more time, okay? Yeah, I just want it all. Lord, can you create more time in the day? Okay, more time. Anyone else? Okay, that's enough vulnerability for a day. <laughs> I, I want you to know the mind of Paul. Now listen to this really carefully. Paul says, you know something? I'll be honest. There is something that I want, that if I had that thing, it would make me so happy. He says, if I just had Christ. And then he goes, you know what? I have Christ, and I am this happy so I know what it means to have all sorts of things, and I know what it means to have nothing. But if I just have Christ, I got everything I need to be happy. Are you there? Is that describe you? Is that where you're drawing your sense of contentment and joy? Or are you on the roller coaster of this list? I'm going to show you a video. It's going to be six minutes long don't normally show you entire videos unless it's really good. This one is really good. Enjoy. My dad was saying that he was, you know, his head was next to my mum's head as, uh, as I was being born. And he saw my shoulder and he just went pale. And he was hoping my mum didn't see me because he saw that I had no right arm. And my dad had to leave the room and he couldn't believe what he saw. And the doctor came in and my dad said, my son, he has no right arm. And he says, no, your son has no arms or legs. And he said he nearly fell on the floor. He couldn't believe it. And the whole church was mourning, you know, like, why would God let the pastor's son be born that way? And my mom, at first, she didn't want to hold me. She didn't want to, you know, breastfeed me and all that. Um, she just felt very uncomfortable for the first four months. And it took them quite a while before they could trust in God that he didn't make a mistake, that he didn't forget them or me. Nick's parents gave their fear and even disappointment in their son's disability over to the Lord. They chose to trust God and his promise that he had a plan and purpose, a hope and a future for their son. But as the years passed, Nick, on the other hand, had many challenges trusting in a God that he felt gave him less. I challenged God. I said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I won't probably have peace until you're in my heart but I will not let you in my heart until you answer me, why? Why did you take my arms and legs? Why didn't you give me 
what everybody else has. And I said, God, until you answer me that question, I will not serve you. And so I wanted to end it. If God wasn't going to end my pain, I was going to end it myself. So at age eight, I tried to drown myself in a bathtub of four inches of water. I told my mom and dad, I'm just going to relax in the bathtub. Can you put me in the bathtub? And uh, yeah, I turned over a couple times to see if I could do it. I couldn't do it. Um, the thought that stopped me from going through with it was the love for my parents. That would be the last time Nick would attempt suicide, but it wouldn't be the last time he would come face to face with those deep issues that made him want to end the pain. Then one day, Nick's mother had him read an article about a severely disabled man, and that man's story made a huge impact on Nick. <laughs> I have a choice to either be angry at God for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. And my mom, she said, Nick, God's going to use you. I don't know how, I don't know when, but God's going to use you. And those seeds started penetrating in my heart. And that's when I started seeing that there is no point in being complete on the outside when you're broken on the inside. And I found out that God can heal you without changing a circumstance. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I read John 9 at age 15, where a man was coming through a village and a man... Um, this, this blind man from birth, Jesus saw him. People said, why was this man born that way? Jesus said, it was done so that the works of God may be revealed through him. And in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed. And I believe God breathed in me life and faith. This faith came over me. This peace came over me. And it was in Jesus Christ where Nick found the strength to do what many thought would be the impossible. Once we realize that when we read the Word of God and you know the truth of who you are, I am not a man without arms and legs. I'm a, I am a child of God. I am forgiven of my sins. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm nothing but a servant of the Most High God. This is not about Nick. It's not about Nick's capacity and capability to become this conqueror. I am nothing. Mm. I'm nothing. God, though, lives in me, and I now live in His strength. And whatever Jesus conquered, I conquer. I believe if God doesn't give you a miracle, you are a miracle of God for somebody else's salvation. And I thank God that He didn't answer my prayer when I was begging Him for arms and legs at age eight. Because guess what? Because I have no arms and no legs, He's using me all around the world. And we've seen so far, approximately, uh, this is conservative, 200,000 souls come to Jesus Christ for the very first time in the last six, seven years. And what would you rather? Would you rather have arms and legs, Nick, here on earth and no arms? No, whatever His will is. Because I'd rather have no arms and no legs temporarily here on earth to be able to reach someone else for Jesus Christ and then spend eternity with them there. In the last decade, Nick has shared his story in 24 countries to over 3 million people. And whether he's talking to a stadium packed with people or one single person, his heart behind the message is the same. God loves you, that he hasn't forgotten your pain, he hasn't forgotten your family. And maybe while you're watching this interview, you've compared your suffering to my suffering. And that's not where hope is, to know that someone else, in your opinion, is suffering more than you. That's not where hope is. But hope is in the name of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Hope is when you compare your suffering to the infinite, immeasurable love and grace of God. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. I didn't need my circumstance to change. I don't need arms and legs. I need the wings of the Holy Spirit. And I'm flying because I know Jesus is holding me up. Don't give up on God because God will not give up on you. Can, can I ask you guys how you uh, feel when you um, saw the, the video? I, I imagine that maybe some of us might feel shame. <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel shame because I have arms and I have legs and I'm, I, I'm not half as content as, as that guy. You know, you kind of... And I, I wanted to show that video, not, not to, it wasn't to shame you guys, actually. No, that was not my intention. The, the intention of the video is to inspire you. I mean, if, if Nick V, if Nick, with no arms and no legs, but he has like this, he calls it his chicken wing. You know, he has that little stump of a leg with, with two toes. If he can say, I have no arms, I have no legs, but I have found contentment in Jesus Christ then whatever situation you are in, you can say the same thing. You know, there's this one word here in this text that I think is really going to encourage you. One word that gets repeated two times. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, and I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. What's the word that keeps on getting repeated? I've learned. I've learned. In other words, contentment in Christ alone is learnable. Uh, Paul didn't just arrive once he became a Christian. He's like, look, I had to learn it. I had to struggle with it. There was a process. Sometimes it was like, you know, two steps forward, three steps back. But it's learnable. It's something that you can learn. It's something that you can grow into. Now, I, I wanted just to, to throw four applications your way. Some of you might be inspired by Nick. Some of you might be inspired by the example of Paul. And you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Now, I'm not going to spend um, too much time. I'm just going to list them to you. And you can work it out on your own. And then we're going to move on in the text. So you're like, okay, well, how can I learn contentment, Pastor Andrew? And here are four suggestions for you, Okay. Uh, Number one, intentionally let go of one thing that you feel you couldn't live without. What's that thing for you? For me, a while ago, it was Netflix. I told you that story. And I'm doing just fine without it, you know. I'm actually doing much better. Uh, Number two, why don't you begin regular quiet times every day with the express purpose of glorifying God by enjoying Him. If I get a time where I'm really into God and enjoying him more, then it's going to take away from those other things that are lesser delights. Number three, why don't you meditate on Ephesians chapter 1 until it starts to sing to you? That's what happened to me a year ago, so I would recommend it to you. Ask, number four, ask God every day to help you find contentment in Christ alone. I'm just trying to be practical, just trying to love you guys practically. Okay, let's move on with the text. But do something to learn. 
to actively learn. Number uh, Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, what does that mean in the beginning of the gospel? Well, during Paul's first missionary journey, he founded the church of Philippi. So he calls that, interestingly, in the beginning of the gospel. Maybe it's in the beginning of when I started to actively take that good news about Jesus and go to distant lands and share with them what they don't know. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Uh, There is a famous pastor that has this quote, really liked the quote, so I really thought it was worth memorizing, but it goes like this. He was speaking at a world missions conference, and he says this, go, send, or disobey. That's how he put it. It's as, as simple as this, our responsibility towards world mission is you either go, you become that missionary, and, and you go to these distant lands that have not heard the gospel, and you are an active agent in sharing it. You go, or you send, or you disobey. Now here is the story of a church that has really emerged and realized its calling. We're called to be senders. Paul is called to go. We're going to pray for Paul. We're going to put our resources to support him. And you know, they really didn't have much resources. They gave out of sacrifice. 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. They were not drive-by givers. They were serial sponsors. Okay? They gave money to Paul at least four times. One in the beginning of the gospel, once and again. Here he says once and again, and now on the occasion of this letter. They were committed to Paul and his ministry for the long haul. He was more than money, much more than money. You get that feeling when you read this letter. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I'm really into all this money that you've given me and what it can afford me, but I'm really into the fruit that increases to your credit. That's what Paul says. That's the perspective of Paul. Uh, how many of you guys practice Chinese New Year? Lunar New Year. How many of you guys practice? A show of hands. Most of you uh, don't, is what I'm getting. How many of you knew it was the day when it was the day? How many of you knew that? Okay, okay, I actually wouldn't raise my hand to that. I didn't know. I, I found out, like, uh, you know, uh, really when Raina told me, you know. Um, but one thing, you know, because I, sometimes I do certain things to preserve my cultural identity. Not all the time, but sometimes I do. And so I like to practice the best of certain traditional things. And, you know, I think the giving and receiving of money is pretty cool. You know, the whole red envelope thing. And so we're trying to pass that down to our kids, you know, the whole red envelope thing. Now, the thing with my son, Ryan, is he actually has money. Okay? I don't know how much money you had when you were seven years old. My son, not including, like, his uh, five to nine college account, okay, just money he's got at home. He's got over $100. I think he's got like $150. Is that a lot of money? That's a lot of money for a seven-year-old, right? 
But here's the thing. Um, it's in his piggy bank, and really the way that it accumulated is that the end of every day, I go to the piggy bank, and I feed the bank, right? Because, you know, I don't like loose change in my pockets. I don't like loose change, so I just feed the bank. Now, Ryan has this understanding that whatever is in the bank is his money. I am under a different understanding. It's a bank, so I'm putting my money in his bank. But he still thinks it's his money, so he can do whatever he wants to do with the $150. So we're passing on this whole Chinese New Year thing, and he's like, I'm really into it. I like it. So he decided to give little gifts to all his siblings. So he gave these red envelopes to his sister. She opens it, and there is $5. And then he gives a red envelope to his brother. He opens it, and there is $2. No, I'm kidding. It was $5. It's five dollars. But here's the thing. Okay, that, that's not weird. But this one is a little bit, whoa. He gave a red envelope to his grandma. Now, what do you think about that? Now, 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 here's the thing. Um, you know, there's certain rules of conduct in, when it comes to giving red. You don't give to someone who's older than you, right? Right? Isn't that kind of basically the, the thing? Like, there's a little... Certainly a kid doesn't give to a grandma, right? Now, now through this interaction, there, I, I felt different things, at least three different things. You know, first two things were, were outrage, okay? Because number one, grandma took his money. I was like, can, and it's not even his money. That's my money. How can you take that? She left with the 20. She's like, ooh, you know, and she left. Okay, outrage, outrage. Number two, it's like, Ryan, you don't have that much money. It's 150, but it's not that much. 20 is a good chunk. What are you giving it? What are you doing giving it to someone who is giving us money? Like, she's sugar grandma. Why would you give $20 to sugar grandma? You know, she gives to you. What, do you, what are you. what are you doing, right? But here's the third thing that I felt. I felt proud. I felt proud. It's like my son is getting it. He's getting the joy of giving. He's getting it. Much, much better to give than it is to receive. He's getting it. You know, and, and but, well, I think what's very common with kids is you hoard the money. And then you spend it on candy for yourself. But here's my son giving so generously and realizing that money is opportunity for investing in other people. He's getting it. I was really happy. And I told him, I said, Ryan, what you're doing is great. Now stop it. <laughs> but it's great. No, 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 this is what Paul is like. He's not really concerned with the money. Oh, now I can buy all these things that I couldn't afford before. He's like, I am so thrilled because your generosity, what does it mean? It means spiritual growth. You guys are growing. You guys are, are seeing money in the right way. It's a tool. It's opportunity. And it's, it's opportunity to provide and love on other people. You're getting it. You're getting it. He's excited. Spiritual growth. Just like, you know, I wasn't like, oh, great, grandma can now afford more Chinese vegetables. No, but he's getting it, the joy of giving. Now, finally, Paul says like, okay, let's talk practically about the money. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. He's talking very practically. Look, you've made a tangible difference. Thank you so much. Full payment, I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, 
a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We're going to focus on that. Fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Uh, I've shared this story before, and I share it again, because only because it's a story that's worth sharing again. But there was this Saturday evening where Ron Jang was talking to his son. And he was saying, son, tomorrow morning I'm going to go to church early, and I'm going to set up things around church. You know, I've got to set up those dividers in the back. I've got to set up this big screen. And David, I hope it's okay with the family that I shared, David wasn't really too happy about that. I gotta wake up early, I gotta come here, no one's here. So I was like, Dad, I, why do you have to do this? And Ranjan said, Look, everyone in the church has a role. Everyone in the church has a purpose. My purpose is like, I like to move stuff around, <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like to fix things. And so the very next day, his son comes with him, and they're moving the base of this screen, which you can see is actually pretty heavy. And, and they're carrying this thing, and they're lugging it here. And then in, in, in a moment of, of brilliance, when there's really no one around, and I just happen to hear this in the background, Ron says to his son, Son, one day this empire will all be yours. <laughs> and his son is on the other side, and his son is like, Okay, Dad. <laughs> I love that story. I love that story. One day this empire will all be yours. Now, I, I'm broadening it here. Paul is actually talking about generosity in the giving of money, but I'm broadening it. I think service, volunteering for church as one example, fits in this category here. And Paul says, you know what it is? It's a fragrant offering. And I just imagine God seeing that and saying, that smells great. <laughs> and it's so acceptable. It's, it's pleasing in my sight. It's a sacrifice and it's pleasing. I'm really, really excited when you give joyfully. Now, you guys, I've been in our church for 15 years and one of our great strengths is the servant hearts of our people. But there's a shadow side and every now and then I hear it. It kind of comes out in conversation. It's kind of like, if I can describe it, it's like, you know, I give my time, I give my money, the church is asking me for things, and, I'm, I'm and there's a kind of a bitterness, like, well, I'm doing it because the church, I mean, who else is going to do it if I don't do it? So I'm doing it, but it's, you know, it's an obligation, you know, I mean, I'd rather be doing other things. And, and I want you to know that as a pastor, how that makes me feel. That actually kind of makes me feel guilty. <laughs> like, I feel bad asking people who have very low margin to do more, to give more. Like every year we're doing this giving campaign. I'm, I'm giving, I'm giving. You, you're going to ask me here to give more? So I feel a little bit guilty. Uh, I have I, uh, I met with, um, I don't know if Sharon is here. Uh, Sharon's not, not here, but Kevin is. I met with Sharon's father not too long ago. Just for like a mentoring moment. Oh, Sharon is here. I met with your, your dad, Sharon. Uh, it was about a year ago, having lunch. And I was actually telling Sharon's dad this problem. Just that, you know, there's a lot of needs in the church and, and people already giving, you know, money and service and they're giving. And I just, I just kind of, I don't know, I feel a little bit guilty asking them for more. And he turns to me and he says, 
never feel guilty about asking God's people to sacrifice. He said this to me. I'll never, I'll never forget it. He said this to me. And then he shares two stories. Now, he's a, a missionary from China. So he's been in places where there's a lot of action. And he was telling me about this man that he was discipling. And this man was serving in prison a term for five years because he was the leader of a house church that was underground. It was illegal ministry activity. Five years, but he spent a total of 15 years of his life in prison. 15 years. Now, okay, okay, this, he gets every month 15 minutes to spend with his wife, 15 minutes. And he said the very last time he was spending time with his wife, they were alone. And he says, he says, dear, I feel like it's a great privilege for us to be suffering for the sake of the Lord Jesus. That's what he said to her. His first words. And get this, she said, I was feeling the same thing. She starts bursting into tears. I was feeling the same thing, but I didn't want to say it because you're doing all the suffering. And and then he was saying he bumped into this other man. Daniel, Daniel was saying, he said, I bumped into this other man and this other man went to prison and they warned him. They said, stop speaking in the name of Jesus and doing these illegal ministry activities or we warn you the consequences will be severe. And so they let him go and he told Daniel, he said, I'm ready to do whatever the Lord asks me to do. And then Daniel turns to me and said, don't you dare stop asking your people to do hard things, to sacrifice. Because that sacrifice is a fragrant offering. It is pleasing to God. Not out of obligation, but a great privilege to serve, a great privilege to give to the cause of the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you're in sound ministry, hey Jared, you're in worship ministry. If your service is coming as a sacrifice, let it be a fragrant offering because you love God. And how does Paul say, and then God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God is ultimately going to repay you. God is going to reward you. God sees what you put in, how early you come, how you're sacrificing. God sees it, and God will repay you. I can't repay you. You know what I got? I got a Jamba Juice card and, a, and, a, and, and some thoughtful words. That's what I got. I can't repay you. But that's Okay. Because the God of all riches will supply your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Just a couple words of application. If you are serving or giving with a bitter heart, then then I don't know if I've, have I said this to you before? It's okay to step down. Some of you are like, really? Ooh, it's okay to say no. It's okay. That's okay. God will provide. In fact, he's going to supply everything. Right? He, God will provide. It's okay to step down. It's okay to step down. Regroup. Look at your service from a different perspective. And as God calls you to re-engage. And some of you are doing it, but it's kind of like out of obligation. No, it's a great privilege. You, you don't know, but every day I go to work, I'm like, I can't believe they're paying me for this. You know? I, you know? 
It's, it's a great privilege to work, to give, to sacrifice for the Lord Jesus. Oh, how lucky you are. Why? Because he will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what God has done for us in Christ Jesus? Who is the one who sacrificed? God sacrificed. He sacrificed his own son. Okay, this is like not the life of a cat, okay? How, how valuable is it? It's not a life of just a human being, okay? This is God's life. How valuable is God's life? He sacrificed that. He gave that all to us. And in the words of Nick, what we have in Christ is we have this tremendous access to God. We have this unconditional love covenant We have so many things, a new identity, new power to live new lives. We have a new family, all these resources in Christ made possible because God sacrificed, Jesus sacrificed the life of his own son of ultimate value and ultimate prize. And our only response is to say, yeah, okay, and I will give you everything I got and I won't hold back and let it be a sweet aroma, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing before God. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray that as we sing this song, All I Need Is You, that you would look into our hearts. And I, I, I really believe that few of us can really sing that and mean it with an integrity of our whole lives that stands on this. All I need is Jesus. If I have him, I'm content. So I pray that you would help us to sing it and to really live it out by the power of your cross.